0: the volume. complete terms
1: being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen and with resi priority notify and global dining access through my amex platinum card right this way it's nice to try someone else's food for a change that's the powerful backing of american express terms apply learn more at americanexpress.com with amex
2: you know our trusted partner TireRack.com for their fast free shipping free road hazard protection, convenient installation options, and their great selection of best tires, like the highly consumer-rated Hankook Dynapro AT2 Extreme. But did you know they sell other automotive products? Wheels, brakes, suspension, just to name a few. Go to TireRack.com slash tirerackcom the way tire buying should be. Turn first round picks like Caitlin Clark, Angel Reese, JJ McCarthy, Michael Penix Jr., and more. Visit PaniniAmerica.net today. The Colin Coward Podcast presented by FanDuel Sportsbook. There's no better place to make every moment more during the Super Bowl than with FanDuel. New users bet five bucks and win 280 in cash on either team to win. FanDuel's America's number one sportsbook. It's safe and secure, it's easy to use. And it's fun to combine multiple bets from time to time on their same-game parlays. Really easy. Bet a little. Win a lot. Discover the most popular same-game parlays each day, each night when you log in. How do you do that? Just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app. Sign up with the promo code Colin. Let them know I sent you. The Colin Coward Podcast presented by FanDuel Sportsbook. Hi, everybody. Wednesday podcast. What a character. Former LSU head coach Ed Orgeron, who, with the help of Joe Burrow, guided LSU to another national title. He'll be joining us today to talk about that recruiting fight to get Joe Burrow and about the transfer portal, the NIL. You know, I'm not saying I'd be capable of running a league, but this is something that stumps me. Why do all these leagues not consider the playoffs when voting on MVPs? I don't understand it. If you look at the TV metrics, nobody really watches the NBA regular season. The reason, though, LeBron's got a great statistical advantage over MJ, but we cling to MJ as the best player is six for six in the finals. Yet we don't count the postseason in the NBA's MVP voting. Well, when we define players, it's all about the postseason. I said six weeks ago, I would vote Joe Burrow, the MVP of the NFL, not Aaron Rodgers, because even though Aaron's clearly important to the Packers, they have a history of winning pre Aaron Rodgers. They're well run. And I think Aaron has less to overcome than Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow's got the cheapest owner. Joe Burrow's got an average front office. Joe Burrow had Zach Taylor, who was 625 and 1 before Burrow got there. It's not an organization with great continuity or a history of great free agent signings. So Burrow's overcoming more. That's one argument. When you add the playoff success, winning on the road at Arrowhead, on the road at Tennessee, being outgained by the Raiders and winning. How are we not considering the postseason for the National Football League most valuable player? Who's the greatest quarterback of all time? Dan Marino's the most talented, arguably. And they won a Super Bowl. It's Tom Brady. Second is Joe Montana. Third, Elway. Fourth, Peyton Manning. They've all got titles. It's one of the mysteries to me about sports. I've never really understood it. We define legacies with championships overwhelmingly. It's the knock on Barkley, the knock on Dan Marino. Why aren't they considered in most valuable player voting? And I'll say it again. Joe Burrow means more to Cincinnati than Aaron Rodgers means to Green Bay. That's not to say Green Bay is the same quality franchise without Aaron Rodgers. But he succeeded Brett Favre. They had Bart Starr. It's been the second or third biggest brand in the league since I was a kid. Cincinnati is the only Northern franchise without an indoor practice facility. They don't make trades. Their business model is out of the 70s. And Joe Burrow's got them in the Super Bowl. I just don't get it. I'm I'm just without answers on this. When you look at Burrow and Aaron Rodgers, Who feels more valuable to the franchise? Is it even close? Cincinnati is a last place team in that division. How do I know that? Because if not for Cleveland, they would have been the last 15 years. But now that Cleveland has a legitimate roster, they would be the fourth place team in that division without Joe Burrow. They're a little more than a field goal underdog in the Super Bowl. Aaron Rodgers leaves Green Bay, if you look at their front office, their offensive line, their skill people, there's an argument to be made, even with Jordan Love or a reasonable facsimile, they go on the market, they get Jimmy Garoppolo, they still win the division. I can't figure it out. I'm not saying I could run a league, but the idea that we don't consider postseasons in the most valuable player voting, to me, is ridiculous. Lincoln Riley, formerly of Oklahoma, now USC head coach, came on my show and a a comment he had, I thought it was fairly innocuous, about the transfer portal in which he said, I didn't take players from Oklahoma. I took players from the transfer portal. And, of course, Sooner fans were just beside themselves. Here's what's so weird to me. The governor has had Lincoln Riley opinions. They renamed a three-foot piece of freeway to disparage Lincoln Riley. Does everybody listening understand this? If you get divorced or your wife leaves you and you're still bad-mouthing her months later, she won. You're a stalker. You can't get over her. Watching Oklahoma, one of the three to four greatest college football programs of all time, Their inability to move on from Lincoln-Riley tells you a couple of things. They know how good Lincoln was. They have issues with Brent Venables and concerns. Moving to the SEC absolutely terrifies them. Folks, coaches leave. Players leave. Don't you think it's strange watching Oklahoma media, the governor, and fans react? They're trying to fool us. It's not that he left. It's the way he left. Well, it's the same way Brian Kelly left Notre Dame for LSU. And Notre Dame fans have let go. They left the same way. Why aren't Notre Dame fans reacting hostily toward Brian Kelly? Because they love the coaching staff they've assembled. They love the momentum. They love Marcus Freeman. It tells you something deeply troubling about Oklahoma. This thing rocked their world. You know, there's not a ton to do in Norman, Oklahoma. Hell, there's not a ton to do in Oklahoma. So Sooner football is the foundation for a lot of weekends. It's the foundation for a lot of state pride. And another power conference came in, another power program came in and stole their coach. He upgraded. And it's an obvious upgrade. California has 150 Division I players a year. Oklahoma has probably closer to 18 to 20. It's an obvious one. The SEC, at best, Oklahoma will be a top three or four program. USC has always been, when they get the right coach, the best program. It'll be much easier to access the college football playoff. But the reaction from Oklahoma has been so telling, I never thought I would see a top five program react so insecurely. I mean, the governor, politicians, naming freeways, the media, they just can't let it go. And I mean, you're Caleb Williams. Where would you want to live? L.A. or Norman, Oklahoma? You're Lincoln Riley. The Dallas Cowboys wanted you. Where would you want to live? Manhattan Beach, California, or Norman, Oklahoma? It's not a toughie. Kevin Durant left Oklahoma to go to a Northern California team. Why? Silicon Valley, better ownership, more things to do. It's nothing against Oklahoma. But the highest-end coaches have options. In the NFL, Lincoln Riley could get a job tomorrow. Kevin Durant had options. There was a study done years ago, and it's fairly predictable, that, you know, people in smaller towns and people in the Midwest valued loyalty more than people on the coasts. And people on the coasts tend to be more transactional. They upgrade careers more regularly. And that's sort of the lifestyle in California. It's understood. You upgrade all the time. And, you know, I think there are parts of the country where, let's be honest, the salaries are bigger on the coast. There's more Fortune 500 companies. There's more money on the coasts. You're Boston, D.C., New York, Miami, Los Angeles, San Francisco. Um, And so it's not that people can't be loyal. But the options are more plentiful. And so it's sort of built into coastal culture is that you upgrade often. You don't live in a home for 40 years. You don't stay in a job for 40 years. And I I think there are times that people from maybe the middle 35 states, middle 40 states, look at coastal people as elitists, out of touch, and less loyal. And I think, as Chris Rock, the great comedian, once said, a man is as loyal as his options. And coastal cities have more options economically, socially, and people upgrade more. I can tell you this if Lincoln Riley left USC in five years for the Chargers, people would completely understand. They would absolutely understand. There's no sense in Los Angeles that we own Lincoln Riley or his mind or how he views the football world. We welcome him in, like many Southern Californians do, a really talented person to elevate an experience, an entertainment experience for us. We don't think we own him. We don't think it's a lifetime contract. If he had four or five super successful years, rebuilt the brand and the energy at USC, people would thank him. He'd leave, you cross your fingers, and go find the next great coach. That's not the way it is at your Ohio State's. People were deeply offended that Jim Harbaugh interviewed for an NFL job while coaching Michigan. It was offensive. People are deeply bothered by that. It's just not the way coastal cities operate. When Pete Carroll was at USC in his last couple of years, his name was regularly mentioned among NFL jobs. Before the Seahawks job, the Miami Dolphins came after him. It was understood. He had built the biggest brand in college football. People here were not mad at Pete Carroll for leaving. People's number one concern was, how do we keep it rolling? But I just think there's a different sensibility on the coasts. Upgrading is part of our reality. I don't wanna hear it's how he left. You'd get over that very quickly. You know it, and I know it. It's that he left, not how he left. FanDuel Sportsbook is an official sports betting partner of Super Bowl 56. So to celebrate, new customers can bet $5 to win $280 in cash on either team to win If you use the promo code Colin, that's right. You get your winnings, cold, hard cash, because we know cash is always better than free bets. FanDuel Sportsbook, the number one sportsbook in America. They got same game parlays. You can combine small bets for bigger wins, tons of Super Bowl props and more. Don't miss out. For your chance to turn five bucks into 280 in cash, download the FanDuel Sportsbook app. Please Use the promo code Colin, C-O-L-I-N, payouts in as little as two hours. Safe and secure, FanDuel Sportsbook. 21 plus and present in Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia or West Virginia. Refund issued as non-withdrawable site credit that expires in seven days. Max refund 10 bucks. Restrictions apply. See terms at Sportsbook sportsbookfanduel.com. Same game parlay available for multiple sports in all states on mobile slash web. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Jersey, and Virginia. Or call 1 800 9 with it in Indiana. 1 800 270 7117 for confidential help in Michigan. Tennessee Redline is 1 800 889 9789. Or go to 1 800 gambler.net in West Virginia. Or call 1 800 Next Step or text Next Step to 53342 in Arizona.
3: Let me just run this by my lawyer is a really helpful phrase to have in your back pocket. Legal Shield has been giving legal peace of mind for over 50 years.
1: And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Store on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: This next guest is somebody who is one of the most colorful characters in the history of college football. And one of the things about Ed Orgeron that's really unique is Ed is so authentic to Ed. Um, When he wasn't given the USC job years ago, um, he was really deeply hurt. And Ed let people know he was hurt. And Ed's a big, strong, tough guy. But I think one of the things that makes him incredibly embraceable is that when Ed was hurt and it was deep, and he let people know. But true to form, this is Ed, he just put his head down and just burrowed his way. He Joe burrowed his way to LSU and won a national championship. And I want to start with that, um, Ed, because that's when I was introduced to you. And you were really key, a centerpiece in Pete Carroll's dynasty. And it was a complicated USC's always been a little political and it was complicated. But when you didn't get that job and you're driving home that day, where were you? Did Did you think? The hell am I doing in this business? I want to go back to the NFL. How bad did it hurt? Where were you at that day when you got that news?
5: Well, we went to the airport. I got on a plane. And I was really, really mad. Really upset. I told my team by. They were all crying. Why are you leaving? You like the daddy I never had. I was this was my team. USC was USC and
0: LSU was the, the places I wanted to be. And I finally got the opportunity. I spent
5: 11 years here. I loved Los Angeles. The people love me. One person did. <laughs> and that's just, the way it was. that's just the way it was. So we get on a plane. I'm sitting on the side of my wife and I, I'm really upset. And she goes, it's going to be okay. And I look at her and I said, besides the day I buried my daddy, this is the worst day of my life. And here's what she said. She says, she, she's a very spiritual person. No, it's not. God has a better plan. <laughs> I looked at her. I said, it better be good. <laughs> 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 you see $16 million contract. Pull out of my hand. You know, you know so it, but you know what? I went home, regrouped. And you know what? Said, okay, let's go. Let's battle.
2: LSU is a perfect fit for you. I think you you I I've said this on the air before. You look you look, you talk, you sound, you recruit, you feel like the LSU football coach, but we know it's the SEC. We know the pressure's insane. You had told, I think Urban Meyer told me this couple years ago that that you had told him and you said, "Hey, Joe Burrow, I, that was bigger than people think. We they were getting on me. I had to win some damn games." You know, Ed before you landed Joe Burrow, I remember it was your first or second year and you had a really tough loss against kind of a not a big program. Go back to that. Did you think you were going to get fired early at LSU? I, you
5: know, when we lost to Troy. Troy. Um, it, it, you could feel it. And we got on a plane to go to Florida. <laughs> I pushed my toe. To it, so we we got to win. I don't know what, what would happen if I lost to Florida, to be honest with you. I don't know if they're fired me. I don't know if I'd have made it. But we beat Florida. And then we continue, and we started winning some football games. And uh, that took the pressure off right there.
2: So take me to the Joe Burrow recruitment. When is the first time you saw tape of Joe Burrow?
5: This is, a, this is an amazing story. We have a spring game. You know, spring games on TV, okay? And I get back. Our quarterback play wasn't very good. And my, my son was playing at Mackenzie State. He plays quarterback. I said, Daddy, we need a quarterback. I said, I know. He said, Dad, I, I was watching Ohio State's straight game. Joe Burrow is transferred. We need him. I, said, I don't know who Joe Burrow is. So I had a coach on my staff named Bill Bush, who was very instrumental in getting Joe to our school. Bill Bush was there at Ohio State and knew the family. I went to a bit. I said, hey, listen, Joe Burrow's fixing the transfer. He says, Coach, if we get Joe Burrow, we're going to college football players." So, yeah, so we got him on a visit. <laughs> You'll love this. He didn't want to talk to me. He didn't want No, no. He said, Coach, you got this recruiting game. I don't need to hear it, Coach. That, that's not what I'm here for. I want to talk football, and I want to eat crawfish. <laughs> we had a football meeting, and we had some of his plays that he ran at Ohio State. And we started asking them questions, why, what, where, offense, defense, why are you doing this? Why are we calling this? And it took me five minutes to realize there were six people in the room, including me, Joe Burrow was the smartest guy in that room, off the charts, smartest football player I've ever been around. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: You know, it's interesting, Ed. Um, he has a good arm, but not huge. He moves, but he's not super athletic. I said when I first saw him, I thought he was a little Tony Romo. He had a little gunslinger. He was pretty twitchy, but, but you know, he's not Mahomes or Josh Allen Arm. What is it about him, besides the brain power, athletically, what, what is it that makes him so special?
5: Well, it's his intangibles, it's his guts, it's his work ethic, his focus. All those things that I'm talking about are off the charts with Joe Burrow. You know what? He's there the same day now. He's a little bit more athletic than you think. When he first came, I said, well, he doesn't throw the ball as strong as I thought he would. You know what I'm saying? But he's so smart, and he knows what to do with the football. And he can extend plays with his feet. And he's tough. The guy can take a hit. You hit him, you get the other quarterbacks, but not all quarterbacks, you you hit him, you know they, they might want to get out of the game a little bit. Joe Joe's like a linebacker. You hit him, he gets pissed, and he wants to go first.
2: <laughs> so the year before you won the national title, Ohio kid comes down there. You were a good team. I remember he, got, he played a game against somebody, and he got kind of the shit kicked out of him. Maybe it had been Auburn. He got hit, went out, came back. Was there a moment in the year before he left? Was there a moment when you felt it all coming together and said, Okay, I mean, because it's obvious, coach, Ohio to LSU, it's a wholly different world. Was there did you have a moment the 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 junior year that you said, guys, this is it?
5: Yeah. First of all, we played Georgia, the number two team in the country. And we beat them pretty good. And we went for four we went on fourth down and one five times. Joe ran some quarterback sneaks, he made some great plays. That was a big win for us, okay? That that started the momentum right there. But we played in a Fiesta Bowl and Joe Burrow took a hit. It was a blindside hit. I call for Miles Burnett to get in. And Joe is is on the ground. And Joe gets up and he says, F that coach. I'm not coming up the game. We'll now pull down 14 points. He stays in the game. We score the next three series. We beat UCF and win ten games. Which was which was a momentum for, for our football team. I remember when I was at Pete Carroll, when we won 10 games and we went to the Orange Bowl. Yes. It reminded, me, it reminded me of that year. I said, you know what? We got us a team now. Maybe next year we can win.
2: You know, the SEC is the best football conference. It cares the most. They pay the most. But um, it's interesting. I said this when Lincoln Riley took the job at USC. I said, it's really about getting into the playoff. It's a hell of a lot easier from USC than it will be Oklahoma, which is at best the third or fourth best SEC program. And here's what I, add, I said this Oklahoma has got that spread and they don't have the interior bodies of Georgia, LSU, Auburn, or Bama. I wonder how well they're going to do in a couple years in the SEC. What's your thoughts on that?
5: Well, I think they're going to have to change. You know, we played them and uh, we handled them pretty good. <laughs> and uh, We could have scored 100, I think. And uh, yeah. well, I got a lot of respect for Lady Durant in Oklahoma, but they're going to have to get bigger and, and physical. This is a physical league. And if you can't stand toe-to-toe with somebody, it's going to be a long night.
2: Um, California has some good defensive linemen, but I don't know if it's the diet. I don't know what the heck it is. Like the South... Texas, bigger kids. If you coached USC tomorrow, do you have to leave the state to get your horses, your big guys?
5: Yeah. You know, it it just so happens that when we were at USC, we had the wild bush too. Think about this now. They're there in Los Angeles. We had Kenichi Udizi, first round draft choice. Nobody knew about him. He weighed like 350 pounds. Mike Patterson. Yes. Played in the league for 10 years, probably the best defensive lineman in the last 10 or 12 years. At USC, Sean Cody, who was the number one uh, defensive player in the country, USA today. So I do believe, Colin, that maybe that was a special time, but you got to dig. You got to get some diamonds in the rough. You're right; they, they're more abundant in the South. That's why I love recruiting down there. I mean, look at the draft. Look at look at those big guys. You can play anybody in the SEC. Vanderbilt. They can they can have a number one draft choice on the defensive line in a heartbeat. There are players all over the place.
2: When you look at Lincoln Riley, I don't doubt he can dominate the Pac-12. I don't doubt at all that USC with a transfer portal is going to get really good really fast. Um, I don't doubt the speed and the offense he'll create. Um, When you look at it and you look at his staff, honestly, how long do you think it will take? The transfer portal adds a whole different ballgame.
5: Yeah, USC, like like Coach Carroll, man, we turned that thing around fast. Second year. So you're thinking around fast, but you got to get players, man. (laughs) You got to get players. You got to have a great coaching staff. I haven't studied Lincoln's coaching staff, but I would venture to say, I don't know who the defensive coordinator is, but you're going to have to play defense. You got to play defense. I know he scores a lot of points, but you got to play defense and have a strong offensive and defensive line.
2: What if USC called you someday and said, Ed, you made your money. We know it. You got the bag. <clears throat> but we want you to come here, be the assistant coach, and just be a voice in Southern California. What would you say?
5: You know, I'd be open to it. You know, I, I'm open to anything. I love I love Los Angeles. They know I love USC. But I, mean, I mean, 11 years here. And so I'd be, I'd be definitely open to it. I'm, I'm young. I'm 60 years young. I'm in good shape. I've got a lot left. I do believe that I'm going to coach again. I want to take the year off kind of see what I'd do. But yes, I'd be open to that. No question.
2: I think you'd be really good in broadcasting. I think you're so authentic on the air. Um, is that something that interests you?
5: Yes, definitely. I definitely want to do that. I want to try
2: it. When you look at the state of football, Ed, and I see it in pro, maybe more than college, but let's say you get another job in three years. If you look at the NFL, Ed, the last four coaches left were offensive. Every single team that made the playoffs in the NFC had an offensive coach. The best quarterback won every single division. As a defensive guy, do you feel handcuffed? How do you look at football today compared to, you know, the USC days or when you got into it with Jimmy?
5: Yeah, it's basketball on grass. It is. They're going to score points. Yeah, you know, I hate to say it, if you play great defense and hold them to 28 points, you're probably going to win every game. Yeah, I'll go used to be 13 or 10. So, to me, if I'd be a head coach again, my number one hire would be a great offensive coordinator. And it's, it's got to be the spread. I mean, if you try pro style, you know, you're not going to score enough points. you got to be physical. But the spread offense, I think, is here to stay for while.
2: Yeah. So, you're a young guy. You're in great shape. You feel good about yourself. When you look at the transfer portal, here's what bothers me. I'm for kids making money and moving. But Ed, there's no damn guardrails. You could lose your right tackle because you didn't start him, and in week four he could leave. What do you do? What do you make of the transfer portal?
5: Yeah, I think it's wild right now. It's really wild and it's really loose and it's it's player friendly. And uh, you spent so much time recruiting a player, you spent a lot of money, you go there, and all of a sudden he's gonna leave. And uh, I think that there's something that you gotta have some guidelines on who can leave and when they can leave. I think that's very, very important.
2: Are you worried about NIL that people now will just buy high schoolers?
5: Well, it's happening. <laughs> right. It's happening. And uh, look, you know, I, I do believe, again, that this has to be governed somehow. There's got to be some stipulation on how you do it. Right now, it's the wild, wild west, and the people with the most money are going to get the recruits. I'll tell you what, NIL, if you offer a kid a million dollars and I'm recruiting a kid and I have a great program and I give him $500, he's going to make But you have
2: to have the money and you have to have a place with resources that have the money. So LSU, Even though it's not considered a rich state, they bought you out. They paid for Brian Kelly. Give me, you've always known how big football is in the South. Give me an example. Like if you lost a game at LSU and you went out to dinner, would fans come up and talk to you? Would the donors call and complain to you?
5: First of all, they go out to dinner. how <laughs> he <I didn't> go? <laughs> if we won or lost, I went home and ate a darn ham sandwich with the bad man. I, I, I was not very social in Baton Rouge. I, I've never been, uh, especially when I was coaching. I didn't want to put myself in that atmosphere. But I, I do believe that the fans expect to win. They're always good to me. They're always good to me. My athletic director was good to me. But you know what? I always said, block out the noise. You know, They have those... Uh, the things on the internet and the computer, yeah. I don't read this book. I don't want it I don't, because it would poison my mind. Sure. And, and I asked our players not to read it. I know they do. I asked our coaches not to read it because during the day, you may coach a certain way. You may react a certain way because of what you read on somebody to put on the internet, which is, should not affect us anyway.
2: So you told your players, stay away from that.
5: But I out the noise. Stealth in and I don't believe that stuff. And even it was it was good. <laughs> look, we're, we're going to win the national championship. Okay, The Heisman Trophy comes along. During the season, we beat some teams that there was a trophy. Our team didn't even pick it up. I wasn't mad at them. They said, Coach, we're fine, we got we won it. The other years we picked it up and we, we, we ran around the stadium with it. They were focused on one thing. That was winning the national championship. We always talked about team in our meeting. We never talked about individual conference, no MVP, no Heisman Trophy. It was all about the team. And Joe stayed focused When Heisman Trophy came up. Nobody talked about it.
2: If you took your best USC team and your national championship LSU team, what would the game look like?
5: It would be one heck of a game. It would be one heck of a game. I'll tell you what, now, USC has some great teams. Reggie Bush and Matt Leinart and that defense we had, uh, and and the defense and the and the play the players that we had in LSU, it'd be one heck of a game.
2: Go to TireRack.com slash Colin to see their Yokohama test results, tire ratings, and consumer reviews, and be sure to check out all their current special offers. Great tires, great deal. What more could you ask for? That's TireRack.com slash Colin. TireRack.com, the way tire buying should be.
4: Attention all wrestling aficionados. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season.
1: And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Store on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: You know, I always point to the linebacking crew you had that Clay Matthews couldn't start. Remember, you had Maluga, uh, Rivers a Cushing, you're, and then Clay Matthews couldn't start. He goes to the NFL and wins NFL Defensive Rookie of the Year.
5: Clay Matthews was a walk-on. I got him to walk home. Pete Carroll called me when I was at Ole Miss. He said, Coach, you're not going to believe this Matthews guy. He's growing. I think he's going to be a heck of a player. He, and, and, and his brother came with us. And his brother was very big, great young man. I think he's having a lot of success. But I was involved in that. I couldn't believe the way that Clay grew up and what a great player he was. But that's USC. Pete Carroll did a great job of recruiting. The guy knew what he was doing. What did you learn from Pete? A lot of stuff. To compete. To wake up, he had a positive attitude. The energy that he had, come on, Eddie, let's go. We'd hit 14 schools in, in Los Angeles. We were rolling, man. And, 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 and the, he didn't stop. Every Every day, Pete Carroll was the same. But the one thing that I, I don't know if people really know this about Pete, he's a disciplinarian. He don't put up with nothing now. You know, he's the happy-go-lucky guy. He makes everybody feel good. But when we went watch the tape, every every time we had practice, Coach would go eat. He had media. He'd come back, and that tape was on. And, boy, if your player didn't do the right thing, you felt like he made you feel that small, not in a, in, in a way of of yelling, screaming, but you felt like you were loyal to Pete and you didn't want to let him down. And he he f- tried to fix everything. His team's got better as the season went along because his knowledge of football.
2: You know, it's interesting. You said that you were so much better a coach at LSU than Ole Miss because you learned. If you got another job, what would you take from Ole Miss and go, okay, I'm not going to, or from LSU and say, okay, I'm not going to do that again.
5: Yeah, you know, uh, I think the hiring of coaches. It really, uh, you know, sometimes there were great coaches I hired. Sometimes, they didn't, you know, they didn't pan out. I'm a, a get after guy, a recruiter. I coach the defensive line on the team. I, myself, personally, I need great offensive and defensive coordinator. Now, do I know it? Yeah. but I never called a play. So, I think the strongest I would be would be with a great offensive coordinator and a great defensive coordinator. Sometimes I had it. Sometimes I didn't.
2: So, you know, your career is pretty amazing. You were with Jimmy Johnson when you were very early. And Jimmy tells great stories about you. I mean, he really does. He tells fascinating stories. If I said to you, give me something about Jimmy. You talked about Pete. Give me something about Jimmy Johnson that he taught you.
5: Let me say this to you. The first day that I walked on that football field at the University of Miami, I learned how to coach. That was it. I felt it. I saw it. One of the greatest, the greatest on the field coach, him and his staff that i ever seen. Those practices at the University of Miami were excellent. Those players practice hard. Those coaches coached hard. I just loved the intensity. i would never been around anything like that in my life. The first day I learned how to coach Sir Jimmy Johnson, I, I love being with him every day. He was so smart. He was so intense. Now, look, we, we was like in a shotgun uh, office. And uh, Coach would go work out. Everybody go work out. You know, he'd have his hair fixed, right? He'd have to have his hair fixed, obviously, right? And he'd walk in. We'd be ready for practice. And if Coach would walk down, you could see him walk down the hall. And if he'd be smiling in a good mood, you'd keep on walking. <laughs> but, boy, if he had that look in the face, man, I took that first door I could to the left. <laughs> I didn't want to pass him at all. But But you know, he had that. That that persona about him, that everybody followed and everybody respected, and you didn't want to, you didn't want to upset Jimmy, just like Pete.
2: I was going to say, what you're talking about with both of them is sort of a presence. They, you could sense it when they walked into a room. You could feel it.
5: Yes, no question. Both of, them. and, and they, they, they were both the boss. You wanted, you wanted to be part of it. You wanted to be at work. You knew you was getting better. You knew your teams were going to win. You saw the confidence in them every day. And and the work that they did on a daily basis every day is where I learned how to be a head coach.
2: Who is, and you're known as a top 10 college football recruiter ever. You may be top three. Who's the toughest guy to ever recruit against and why? Uh, You know, I I think the Tosh
5: Lapoy that came on at the end. The guy was phenomenal.
2: Tosh Tosh Lapoy.
5: Yeah, he took on and he came in the pack 10 Ten, the pack 12, whatever it was back there. Yeah, man, he started and he, he was a good recruiter. I remember him, Kevin Steele in the South. You go against Kevin Steele, you better be ready. I mean, he, he's going to coach. He's going to stay on top of them. But I think if you look at the greatest recruiter ever, you got to say it's Nick Steele. Phenomenal, phenomenal recruiter. The guy's relentless. Look at his team. The guys are talented. I would say Nick Saban is the greatest recruiter in college football history.
2: Is is he is it the salesman part? Is it his homework? I mean, I'm sure there were times that you walked into a house an hour after Nick was there. What makes him great?
5: Yeah, I think he's relentless. I think his evaluation of talent, he know he knows the, the team that he wants to choose. Look at his team. They look like NFL teams. And I do believe that he's relentless on the phone calls. I do believe that the parents love him. Uh, I've been in meetings with him at the SEC. The guy's very intelligent. He can be nice. You know, you can put on that that, that charming uh, talk. I talked to Pete Jenkins. You know, the, the mothers love him. And the players know they're going to win. And I talked to Doug Marone. Doug Marone uh, and I was at Syracuse. He goes, Coach, make no doubt. The reason everybody goes to Alabama is because of Nick Saban.
2: In all your years of recruiting, sometimes – a kid's not a five-star guy. Sometimes he's a two- or a three-star guy. Is there a player, could have been at USC, could have been at Ole Miss, could have been at LSU, that you fought for, the staff didn't love him, and you said, I see something, and he became your proudest recruiting moment?
5: Mike Patterson. Here, here's the story. A, a Coach Hackett was here, and I was on the staff. Mike was 5'11 at the best. Coach Hackett, you know, from the NFL, wanted bigger uh, defensive coordinator, wanted Dow Russell, 6'3", six, 6'4". Six, they didn't want Mike. Okay, so Pete comes, and we started recruiting together. He goes, Eddie, hey, we need some defensive linemen. You got any? I said, Coach, I have one. He's a little short. He goes, I don't care about short. Can he play? I said, yes. <laughs> so, so Mike Mike had some qualification issues. And I told him, I said, Mike, whatever you do now, you better get eligible. Yes, sir. So you remember the California Texas All-Store game? Yes. All right. So Pete never saw Mike. He just trusted me. Mike looked like he weighed about 350 pounds. He was getting double teamed during the game and knocked off the ball. He he was so out of shape. My phone was ringing, Pete Carroll, Pete Carroll. And normally, normally I normally answer the first ring. And my wife back then says, you're not going to answer it. I said, oh, no it's about, about, about the third call. Yes, coach. Eddie, what are you doing? I said, coach, trust me. Trust me. Yeah, just trust me on this. Eddie, you better be able to play. So the next, the next day I had Mike Patterson at six o'clock in the morning on the USC field running. Me and him, just me and him. Got dressed. I said, Mike, what happened? He said, coach, you told me all I had to do is get it out. I went home. I said, you know what? Those coaches told me Mike's going to do exactly what you tell him. I didn't talk to Mike about getting traded. I didn't talk to Mike about anything. I talked to Mike about getting up. You know what he did? So he told me something about the young man. So the next day is a Monday, all the freshmen report. And we have a big fourth quarter deal at six o'clock in the morning. Mike passes out. We get, we get in the staff room. Now I'm the recruiting coordinator assistant and coach. I sit right near Pete. This is what he said. We will never recruit a guy like Mike Patterson again. (laughs) And and all the staff is coming as a coach. I understand Mike Patterson will be a player. Mike Patterson lost weight, got in shape. I think he was a three-time All American. Yep. First round draft choice. Played in the NFL for 10 years. Graduated from graduated from USC. And it, he had to work hard in academics. Mike Patterson was a great young man. One of the greatest young men that I ever recruited. And I was so proud.
2: <laughs> I was just happy he turned out to be a player. People's mad at me, man. Isn't that great? You know what? But it—it, it, I will say this. Sometimes, Ed, young people just need one person to believe in him.
5: That's right. And you know, what, you know what happened? I believed in Mike, but you know what happened? I gained Pete Carroll's trust. As a coach, I got it. Trust me, he's going to be a player. Trust me, he's going to be a player. And you know, as a head coach, if an assistant coach told me that, and I saw everything turn out the way it'd be, you gain more trust, you gain more value with the head coach.
2: What a pleasure, Ed Orgeron. I could sit and talk to you for three hours a day. I love recruiting. I always have. I'm totally into it. Um, it's just a pleasure. You're a busy guy, and I'm going to see you at the volume party. I want you to stop by. The food and the drinks are really good, and we may just have a spot for you in our podcast network, Ed. We pay pretty good, you know. We pay pretty good rates.
5: Yeah, I'm open, man, Hey. Eh? <laughs> Hey, I'm an open recruit. Come get me. <laughs> hey, hey, let me see your recruiting skills. It won't take much.
2: <laughs> Great seeing you, Coach.
5: Thank you, man. Appreciate you.
2: Ed Orgeron. Man, that was fun.
0: Complete terms.
4: It's Freddie Prinz Jr. and Jeff Died back in the ring. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. Hey Jeff.